welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we talk about the most important person in the game, the Dungeon Master. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the players at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And today we are talking all about Dungeoneering and the things that we have to think about as DMs when we go and prepare a dungeon for our players. And so we'll be talking through things like traps, we'll be talking through things like puzzles and riddles, and the one of the most important things, the bosses of the dungeon. And so as we get going through the episode, you'll hear more about that. So while you're listening to this episode, you might notice that during the meet, there is, for like half of the meet, or a little bit longer than half, but there is a little bit difference in audio quality. It might sound like we are recording from inside a car. Well, that's because we were. Because uh, we are recording from inside a car. We did more than half of this episode coming back down from our cabin retreat. And so that's what you will hear for part of the meet. So if the audio quality isn't at 100%, we're sorry. But that's how it is. So we'll try not to record in cars most of the time. <laughs> But before we get going with that, we have some shout-outs to do from iTunes for all of our five-star reviews. And so we, the first one comes from Spooky Dan. Don't roll a crit one on your intelligence check. <laughs> Listen to this podcast. Yeah, uh, I, I love some of the, the titles for these. They're, They're so, so funny. Creative. Yeah. <laughs> and if you haven't done one yet, try and outdo the rest of the people because these are, these are great. Challenge um, accepted. Challenge accepted. <laughs> I love to listen to podcasts while I'm at work. It makes the time fly by. I can't listen to the Dungeon Master's block at work, though. I find <laughs> I either get too engrossed and wind up not getting work done, or I work and miss all of the great stuff that keeps bringing me back to this podcast again and again. Fantastic ideas to use in your campaigns, inspiration for your own great ideas, and awesome stories for, from their campaigns, and unique and useful solutions to situations all DMs will face in their travels are just a few of the reasons to listen to this podcast. Do it. Just do it. Uh, you won't be disappointed. So thank you, Spooky Dan, for that review. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Spooky Dan. Our next one comes from Lily Rose Shadowlin, and it is entitled Amazing. I love this podcast. I'm planning on DMing for the first time next year. That's awesome. And I've gotten so many ideas from Storytime and Lightbulb that I can't wait to implement. I've learned so much from this podcast, things that you just don't pick up on when you're observing the game. I've been watching my husband and his friends play D&D and similar systems for seven plus years. <laughs> my husband, an experienced DM, loves listening to the podcast with me. It's the right mix of funny and informative. Hope it keeps going. We're planning on keeping going, Lily. Thank you, Lily Shadowland. We've been doing this for over That's a year awesome. already. That's crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. nuts to me it that we've been doing crazy. it that long. So the next one comes from Gold2259. What's a health potion taste like? Question mark. <laughs> uh, Five-star review. These guys followed me on Twitter after I asked Chris Perkins what a health potion tastes like. I checked them out, and they had they have made my boring work days a lot more fun. As someone who is taking on the challenge of building their own world with its own towns, deities, and histories, they've been a great inspiration to me. Love what you guys do, and keep on doing it. Happy face. 
So thank you, Gold2259. We're glad that uh, maybe someday we'll answer what a health potion tastes like is for that, you. Is that like the amount of gold that his character has in D&D? Maybe. Maybe he just keeps updating it on iTunes pieces. every single time. It's yeah, like, oh, maybe. no, I bought a sword. I got to go down 30. <laughs> yeah, oh, edit. <laughs> edit post. Yep, okay, yep. gold. Okay, good. We're good now. Gold 150. <laughs> That'd be a cool sword. Yeah. Uh, our next one comes from Fat Hick. This is your favorite one of all time. <laughs> well, I just it's just like you. this is one of those that you just do a double take on. So because it's a five-star review, uh, it's entitled, I Hate This Podcast. <laughs> Four exclamation points. Yeah, okay, so I hate this podcast. I mean that in the best way possible. As a DM that's a bit burned out at always being the one running everything all the time, this podcast weekly makes me want to run even more. This never-ending font of amazing ideas never fails to stagger with its mind-opening thought expanding discussions. There's more here than the depths of the ocean and more yet to come. Keep up the amazing work. Are you guys just mind players fattening up our <laughs> minds for a great feast? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, and your minds are getting fat, but they're not quite there yet. So they're not we quite. We won't our, strike in previous, until the time is ready. In previous planets that we were on, uh, it took a little <laughs> while longer. So yeah, yeah, we're yeah. getting so, there eventually. Yeah, we had to do like two years of podcasting yep. on the previous planet yep. we were on. Yeah. So uh, we'll get there. We'll get there, people. So. <laughs> All right. With that, let's head to the story time. Story time. The time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns, our favorite moments where we learned about ourselves and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy story time. So this past week, Chris, we played in your campaign. And if uh, the listeners remember, our group of characters had been going through this weird uh, dungeon that we were just teleported to. It was the challenge of the Phoenix. And so we're all in this, uh, I almost want to describe it, video game-like dungeon that we are trying to finish it and see who is worthy of being the Phoenix. And so uh, we fought and we we kept going deeper in this dungeon and my marking my high score writing allowed us to know where we were <laughs> in the dungeon because we definitely went in circles a couple times. Yep. Uh, eventually, we came across the room that had like a map in it and we saw that there was like one room that we still needed to go to. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, okay, well, we and behind in this room it was the map, but then there were these two huge doors and we were we we're just thinking like boss battle, <laughs> like that's got to be the doors to the boss comes. battle, right? Yeah. Yep. And so we we're like, okay, so let's go finish this one last room that's lit up red on this map, the only room that's or was it lit up red or was it the only room that wasn't the lit up? The only red? room that wasn't lit up okay. was the room you had to go to cuz there was a room behind the doors and then there was the room uh, that wasn't lit up that you yes. still had to go to. So we went to that room, and inside that room, uh, we saw these... They were like floating octopuses that were on fire, basically. You talk about these things because you you uh, pulled them out of the monster manual. I've, I actually never heard of these things before. So the things that you guys faced in this one room were... Uh, they. 
they aren't real strong necessarily as far as health points, but if they get a hold of you, they can be absolutely crazy to you. They're like these floating octopus. They have like 10 to 15 tentacles. They're like red. They, you know, in, in, in this specific instance, they were like, they had some fire coming off of them and stuff like that. And they floated off the ground about like four or five feet. Uh, and so you walk into this room, there's like a little balcony behind you and you have to face off against these things. And you guys like, for the most part, you started taking care of them pretty easily. Uh, but a couple of you ended up getting hit by these things and they have like improved grab. And so once they bite you, they like latch on. And the description says that they like they latch their teeth. They try to like latch onto your head. And so for a while there, I think you were walking around with like a rast hat for a little while, if I remember right. <laughs> yeah. Like one latched onto you, you're like, ah, whatever, no big deal. Like I'll, I'll get it off. And like this thing didn't hit me for that much when it bit me. Like we'll, we'll get them off in a little bit. My, my buddy Tyler, he has a, he has a character named Runin who had like one latched onto his head and like one latched onto his shoulder. Uh, and Martin like is, He's walking through this whole dungeon just super bloodied and, like, <laughs> beaten down. Uh, and so he was, like, in there, and he got, like, knocked unconscious, like, right away. Like, he was just, like, out. He, there was nothing he could do. Cracks and Ernie weren't with us because they couldn't be here this night, so they got uh, teleported out of the maze. So it was just you three walking through yep. the rest of the maze. Uh, and so these things were happening, and all of a sudden like Tyler has two of these things on him and he's up in a balcony by himself. And I all of a sudden say, all right, Karab, you take one point of con damage. And you're like, do I get like a saving throw or anything? I was like, no, <laughs> you <laughs> don't. You just take one point of constitution damage. And so the way that these things are written up is you take one point of constitution damage each round that it maintains its hold on the character. Uh, and so if you guys would have tried to grapple them off, like it, they wouldn't have been able to like stay on you. But Tyler, I don't, I just don't know if Tyler like quite knows all of these rules yet. And so he's like walking <laughs> around with two of these things on his body. And so he's got one lashed onto his head and one lashed onto his shoulder. And he got down to like four constitution overall. Uh, and I was like, Tyler, you should probably do something about getting these things off. Otherwise Runin's going to be very short lived in this campaign because he like, he, this was like a second, second night playing with us overall. You have one of these things latched onto him and you guys take like some pretty crazy constitution damage. And then you have to realize, oh no, we still have to go through these doors. Like hopefully we don't have to face somebody behind these doors with constitution damage because the healer who could do lesser restoration and help you guys get back wasn't here this night. So he couldn't do any of that. So you guys were just stuck with constitution damage <laughs> for the rest of the night yeah and so you guys walk uh you guys got through that room you eventually killed all of those things uh they burned up disappeared uh and you walk back to the room with the two doors and the 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 map on the side on the wall it has that room lit up and then you see the doors uh in front of you as you walk back into the room open uh you walk into the room and you see the old man sitting on a throne looking out at you you look around the room and there's like different statues all around this room uh and i th i don't have my notebook right in front of me but um i think there was 
eight or nine other ones before that. I think there was eight. He was going to be the ninth one. But there was like statues of each of the phoenixes that had gone before with like their names and things like that. And then there was an empty one where like his statue was going to go. And so you guys walk in. He has a he has a conversation with you guys. He like gives you this speech about how he's seen kingdoms rise and he's seen kingdoms fall and you know he's seen like all these different things in this world because he's been reigning as the phoenix for twelve hundred and thirty years at this point. Uh, and he teleports you guys all out. You guys get back into the city and you see all the other people that have been teleported out. They're either kneeling or you know. Uh, well, you see Cracks and Ernie, they're kneeling. You see everybody else that's kneeling. Um, you come out first, and then it's Runin, and then it's Martin. And the Phoenix, for lack of better term, knights uh, Martin as the next Phoenix. And so, Mitch, why don't you talk about the feelings that were going through your head at this <laughs> point in time when you realized that Martin was the guy well, you that didn't, got... you didn't mention this. You kind of breezed over it, but during that whole... Rast battle, and we had a couple battles before that. Martin, ha- like, repeatedly was like always in trouble, like bleeding out. Yeah. Uh, during the Rast battle, like they could paralyze you too. So yeah. there was this like more than half the battle. Runin and Martin are just paralyzed. <laughs> yeah. Like and just yeah. having these things suck their life out of them, and that's that's why I didn't. I I was like this thing's on my head, and I didn't use a turn and like attack it. Not because I'm like oh that's right they like, were they were paralyzed for four rounds. Ruin yeah. was in three rounds. Martin was like right. I've I've had players play in my campaigns before that are just like oh like I could take that hit, and it drives me crazy. <laughs> like it's like the cockiness, and I'm like I'm not going to attack this thing because my friends are in trouble. <laughs> like they right. are gonna die, and I'm really good at four saves so i keep on like not getting paralyzed so i'm running around just killing all of them and so we get to the end and like i mean anybody listening to this podcast knows that i'm a huge role player more mm-hmm. than i am like oh i'm all into battle and stuff like that but i reach the end and i'm totally like okay i i must have it <laughs> yeah right, <laughs> like, right like i just beasted everything like i did so well and martin would have been my last guess. <laughs> I love your brother, Casey. <laughs> if Casey, if you're listening, you totally know yeah. we talked about yeah. it. But like, it was just this moment of what did he do? Like he was paralyzed the whole yeah. battle. And Casey yeah. like is looking at you and he's like, what did I do? <laughs> like, yeah. what did I do? And like Karab player wise or character wise uh, was as a worshiper of cord. He went into like this deep like rage slash depression because he's all about like contests and he's okay with losing. But the thing that drove Karab and I'll admit <laughs> myself <laughs> oh, crazy. It was so, it was so totally. It was it was totally more you I think than Karab and it, it seeped I let it through into the character. Karab, oh, but yeah, it definitely yeah. would have bothered Karab was that like Karab asked like why did he win and Martin asked why did he win and like there's it was like we were just ignored no answer I, I we get teleported back to the city I'm asking around nobody has an answer for why Martin was chosen as the Phoenix um, out of all the out of all of us who competed like we're just like why did he win and so Karab went into this like really just pissed off depression of like Okay, I lost, but I need to know why, and it's driving right. him crazy. And me, why, uh, why Karab wasn't Karab or somebody else wasn't the victor? And and it's so funny because your brother's just like, 
looking at me and he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, bro, he, Karab has no beef with you. He yeah. just hates the city because he thinks that the city just has no idea how to run a contest. He's like, yeah. he's like, how do they judge people here in the city? And so now Karab is like, he went like, he went to the temple and was like asking about if there's any contest. Like he wanted to redeem himself. He like won a drinking contest because he wanted to redeem himself. But like he's still well, he he's didn't just even like, win that. He tied yeah. for first place. <laughs> in it. He was just ready to get the heck out of the city because he yeah. thinks that it's it sucks. He thinks this yeah. place sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Crestair is not the city that he's going to move to at the end. <laughs> no, of the, uh, absolutely. At not. the end of the campaign. <laughs> but uh, Martin, on the other hand, is like now he's like he he was so funny because he was so your brother was so acting through with Martin as just a super humble guy. Like he's going around. He's the new celebrity in the city like everybody's like patting him on the back like oh wow the phoenix like we'll give you a discount we'll give you and that you guys you guys totally tried to use oh him. yeah <laughs> you totally me and, tried me and to tyler are like dude like if you're not gonna take the dis- discount get it for us man. yeah like well you well, guys you guys even went so far like tyler was looking for a new bow and i came up with like this crazy okay, like tyler tried to take it too it was, far <laughs> it was like it was like a plus five gave you like a d12 fire damage to your air I was, I was like, it's like 75,000 gold. Like it's at, like, it's, I had no stats for it. I was just making it up. Like, he's like, what's the most expensive thing you have? I was like, all right, you're not going to be able to get this whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, well, I'm going to go get my Phoenix friend and see if I can't <laughs> talk him into giving it to him. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> use, use and abuse the gonna, power of they're your gonna friend. They're going to like run their business into the ground. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was so funny because he's walking around and they're like, oh, let, let us get you some, you know, you can have a free room at the inn. Like you can have a free meal. Like here, take this, take that. And he's just like, no, 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 no. Like, no, I'm I d- okay. Just, I don't it's need okay. it. Please just. Let, yeah. let me be with my friends. Yeah. And and me and Tyler are like sitting there like, dude, milk it for all it's worth, bro. <laughs> <laughs> milk it for all yeah. it's worth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's uh, in, in my world, there's uh, four main gods, one of earth, wind, air and fire. Uh, and this is the fire one, Pinion. And they each have somebody that speaks for them. So like the Phoenix is for Pinion. Uh, and there's like requirements that each person has to meet both as a person and in the dungeon itself. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you what those are because you guys would try to be them in every single campaign coming up. Um, but yeah, so Casey met those requirements with being, he met them to the best of everyone's, to the best that everybody could. He All met right. most of them. <laughs> I stick with my my last, <laughs> I stick with what I said in the previous story time. I think that the Phoenix was the guy who died first. None of us died, so he was the closest to dying. That's what I will <laughs> in my mind, because you said you're never going to tell us. So I'll just, yep. I'll just say that that's fine that's that's what it was he came closest to dying that's what made him the phoenix (laughs) um yeah so you guys you guys come out and uh as like he passes as uh the old phoenix passes the cloak over and he puts it on uh casey's character like the cloak is on fire so it has like this little these little bits of fire all like kind of over the whole thing of it uh and he all of a sudden like casey martin turns around to you guys uh, and I had you all roll a spot check. And do you remember what happened to the guy that gave him the cloak? Uh, he turned into a pile of ash. Yep. And then I don't remember because Karab was furious. 
Oh yeah, Karab was furious. <laughs> so, oh, so you really like didn't pay attention to that? No, at all it's not. No, I totally did. I just I know that he turned into ash. I'm just kidding. Right. I I it's just oh, blurring. Gotcha. Okay, okay, so did he turn into ash, and then did he turn into a phoenix and fly and then away? He turned, the phoenix was born out yes. of the ashes. Okay, that's and what it flew was. Away. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he, like, when he took the cloak off... I just didn't want to say, over. oh, and he turned into a bird, if that's yeah, not what happened, because yeah. that sounds stupid. Like, oh, like, you're just taking that from because his name the Phoenix. But I'm like, I think that's yeah. what happened. Yeah, no, that's that's legit what happened. Okay, that's what um, I thought. And so there's not there's uh, nine Phoenixes in the world right now, because there's only been nine uh, Phoenixes' opinion. Ah. And so whenever you see one in the world, you know, like, that's the person that used to speak for Pinion. Um, who has died and been resurrected as a phoenix who's now flying around the world. So um, so eventually, someday, Martin may turn into that. So, so they're almost as rare as a, uh, a Moltres, huh? Yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty pretty close. The legendary birds, you know. And so something cool like that happens with all of the mouths of the gods that are in the world of Panthea. So maybe you guys will get to see more of them in the future. Maybe. But so, yeah, you guys, after that, you had to get going because it's like, oh, wow, this is really cool and stuff. But we also have to protect our hometown. Um, and the old Phoenix said, do what you have to do until, you know, everybody that you have known and loved has passed away and then come back and assume your position as the Phoenix and, you know, speak on behalf of Pinion. So you guys had to get going because you guys had some more uh, dragons to kill. And it was so funny because, uh, like, everybody's telling Martin, you have to come back. You have to live with us, like, once you're done. like, And he's yeah. just like, oh, oh, okay, okay. And yeah. at one point he turns to the Karab, and Martin's just like, Karab, will you come uh, and live with me here once <laughs> yeah. after? And Karab's yeah. just like, no, this city sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. never so, coming back here. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like they wanted to throw a party for him every year, like on yeah, this yeah. He's day. He's like, will you like come to, to the festival with me? I'm like, I yeah. will not come back to the city. Because yeah. he didn't want you to move with him. He wanted you to come back for the festival. That's right. He wanted me to and, travel and, with uh, him for the And festival. you were just like, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm not I'm, I'm not coming I'm back sorry, with you Martin, whatsoever. I love you, but no. I hate this place. <laughs> yeah. And so you guys had uh, to get going. And so you traveled by, like, there's, like, this transport company in the north that allows you to either fly on a dire owl or, like, a dire raven, like a a huge bird. And so you had three choices where you could go. You could go to one city that uh, was known for its walrus farms. And, like, they used, like, it was a place where you could go and, you know, visit there on the seashore and see like these weird looking creatures named walruses you could go to a city on a um, lake that they were known for making ale and so immediately Karab was like oh that sounds good and then you could go somewhere where you could do a little bit of yeti hunting called udrashal and so Karab was kind of like man both of those sound really good but i just need to kill something right now <laughs> like i need to win at something uh, and so you guys decided to go to Udrashal and do a little bit of some fun Yeti hunting. Uh, and w- once again, what happened to Martin when you guys went out Yeti hunting? Do you remember? He's now newly appointed yeah, as the Phoenix. He went down, right? He was the first to yep, go down. Yep. Well, because we went, we, went, we hired a dude to, to take us. We found a cave. We go into a cave, and I turned myself invisible. <laughs> and it was totally this moment of like I forgot that I was invisible because I cast Fireball on all these Yetis. Yeah. And then they come and they're running at the group and you move but they don't you see move the you. Yetis past me 
And I had this moment of like, no, I'm the tank. Like, what are you doing? Like, I want to yeah. attack. And like, you're like, dude, you're invisible. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I forgot about <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. And okay, so, like, they one go charged, and attack Martin. <laughs> yeah, because there was, there was one that went past you on one side, one that went past you on another, yep. and one that was kind of trying to cut diagonally. Yeah. And, so uh, he, and he was running me. straight through you. And you're like, dude, he can't use charge. Like, he's going to run through me if he's trying to get to somebody. I was like... He doesn't see you, so yeah. he's going to use charge because that's what he knows. And so I was like, you need to, like, you know, you can take your attack of opportunity. Like, he's probably going to run into you, though, if you don't move out of the way. Um, and so that was, like, one of those moments where, yeah, I could see it in your face. You were like, wait, why are they running past yeah, me? And then there was that forgot. moment of, like, <laughs> crap. You were on I top made of myself things. Invisible. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were still pissed. I, I was know. blinded it, by it, rage. It, yeah. Um so yeah, you guys ended up defeating uh, some pretty good-sized Yetis. You decided, I think you decided to try and introduce Yeti meat to the Bumble Bottom Bed and Brewery, if I remember right. Yeah, I uh, don't know if that was us joking or not, but oh, okay. I think it's a thing now. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think it is, but I'll Yeti let you burgers. guys decide that. Yeah, Yeti yes. burgers, that's what it was. You decided that you wanted to make some cool... Uh, clothing out of a yeti and i don't know if yeah, that was i wanted to joking i wanted serious, no that was but, me being serious i want okay. rob to make a take one of the yeti like heads and i said you know how they you'll see like barbarians who have like the wolf hat or the uh-huh. bear hat like i want a yeti like face with the horns like yeah. on top of my head that's yep. what i that's what i've yep. decided to do <laughs> yeah and so that's what you are deciding to do with this so you're taking the yeti pelts along with you um and you have like you have to get back. You guys are currently on a quest to get back to the city of Lilasa, which is on the other side of South Otham, the country you're in now, to get on a ship and head back home um, to find out what's going on down at the place in Milner where the Bumble Bottom Bed and Brewery is. So that's that's where you guys left off, and that's where we'll pick up story time next time for my campaign. Awesome. With that, let's head to the meet. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Carve it up! Fist the mouthful! No! The flight meat's back on the menu, boys! All right, blockheads, welcome to the meat of this episode this week. We are talking all about traps. Puzzles and riddles and bosses, the essential things to add into any dungeon to make it even better for your players to delve into. We know as DMs that we love all of these things, but at times we may not use all of them and some of them we may never have used before. So if you've never used a trap, never used a puzzle or a riddle or never used a boss, listen in because we're going to have some great content for you this week dealing with all three of those things specifically. So the first thing we're going to talk about is why are these things essential in any dungeon? The first reason, obviously, that I would say that these are essential are that, I mean, without them in general, without any of these, you don't really have too much of a dungeon. And so all these elements, whether they're traps or some sort of puzzle or a boss of some sort or bosses, they're going to spice up your dungeon and give it that dungeon feel. Because I think we all know that monsters are generally going to be a part of a dungeon. So that's why I don't think we included them in this, because we figured that that was something that, you know, if it's a cave, there'll be wolves in there. If it's a dungeon, it'll be like some sort of like a hydra in there or something like that. (laughs) 
Hail Hydra. Along the same lines of spicing up any sort of dungeon, it also allows you as a dungeon master to use the creative juices that you have in your brain to make something that will just pop off the page for your players. I think anytime you use a cool trap, I mean, we all know the classic, like, you step on a pressure plate and an arrow comes out and shoots you. But when you can create a cool trap or a cool riddle that nobody's ever come up with before, it gives you an opportunity as a DM to be like, yeah, I was able to use my creative juices to come up with that thing. And so it, it allows you to be even more creative as a DM and make something interesting for your players that they may never have seen before. Well, and some of these things can make your dungeons more suspenseful, like traps being set in your dungeon make as soon as one trap goes off in a dungeon your players are going to be on edge for other traps especially with the varying levels of dangerous traps that you introduce like the more dangerous traps the harder they are oh, yeah. to disable the dungeon's going to become more scary to your players and if you have a boss in your dungeon and the players know that there's some boss in the dungeon the whole entire time they're going through they may not be going through with that kick open the door stuff. Some players are going to no matter what. Right. But they may not be going through with that classic like we kick open the door. We fight the monsters because if they know that something is there that's really powerful, they may go through with a little bit more caution and trying to possibly think about their actions and sneak up on this big boss if they know it's there. And if they don't, like that moment when they do kick open the door and you have a it's a level one campaign and you have a big ogre with a giant club in there. Oh, like, yeah. Suspense goes high up and it's like, are we going to survive this? Well, and even if you have a riddle too that like you get it wrong the first time and something bad happens to oh, you, it's yeah. like, oh, this wasn't just a simple question <laughs> and answer. Yeah. You now take 1d4 points of damage yep. every single time you answer a question wrong. Like those types of things add so much suspense to a oh, campaign. Yeah. I did a puzzle one time that every time the players did something wrong, one of the players would lose a point of intelligence. And it got to be the most nerve-wracking thing for the players because it reached the point where some of the characters were not able to help because they were just babbling they on were too and stupid to do anything. Yeah. And it was like, okay, they're not a help. And it got down to one character. And it was like, if I fail this, <laughs> I'm going to... We are not going to get out yeah, of here. We're going to be walking around like idiots for the rest of our lives. <laughs> so the first thing that we're going to talk about on this list are traps. And I know as players, because most of us were players before we were DMs, we have come across many, many different types of traps. Whether they were fun and interesting, or whether your DM was just a jerk and wanted to be mean to you. He had a bad day and was like, all right, we're going to put a trap where an executioner's hood falls on your head. We're oh, gonna, no. You know, those, those types of traps are always not, are not fun for players, but as a DM, we can use these traps, like we said, for many different reasons to spice up any sort of dungeon and there's a lot of different types of traps yeah. too the most common obviously i would say is the mechanical traps like oh, yeah. you said that pressure plate that you step on and it sets off some arrows flying at you or spears that chest that if you unlock it and open it before disabling the trap or just even unlock it it sets off a trap maybe it's poison gas like that comes into the room it's those you have the door that has a razor blade that cuts yeah. the, the rope or whatever yep. and you have something fall on your head or a pit opens up underneath you, you walk into a room and there's three levers then you know that one of the levers opens up the door but one, like two of them are probably gonna not do that they're probably gonna do something else like oh, yeah. flood the room or something terrible <laughs> yeah there's tons of mechanical traps whether it's pits 
arrow traps, falling blocks, water-filled rooms, whirling blades, anything that has to do with a mechanism to trip in order to work is a mechanical trap. And those, as far as rogues are concerned, are going to be the most common thing for them to know and deal with. Yeah. And that's going to be where you really want your rogue to shine and come along and be able to fix these mechanical traps to the point where sometimes they can even take apart that trap and build it themselves later on in their own little dungeon fortress. But those are going to be, those are a staple of dungeons, obviously. Yeah, and, and they're the ones, too, that rogues, if they disable them, can reassemble them as they pass by it so that somebody yeah. else that comes through will have to come across oh, yeah, that yeah. trap. Yeah, <laughs> If they're being chased by some baddies, yep. yep. The second type is called a magic device trap. And so these are, are not necessarily just simply spells. They're magic device traps that have spell-like effects that happen when you trip a sort of mechanical trap. So you have like the classic fireball trap where you step on a pressure plate and a fireball comes flying across the room at your face and at your party. And if you're the rogue, hopefully you have increased evasion so that you can just take <laughs> half damage originally. Uh, but for the rest of you, it's going to be a little bit dangerous. And you're, you might get a little bit mad at your rogue who accidentally set off this magic device trap. So it, it does things like fireballs and poison gas traps will come, you'll come across that. Basically, anything that has a sort of mechanism that sets off a spell-like ability would be incorporated under the magic device traps. Kruor's had to deal with a couple of these. These yeah. are, I feel like a lot of magical device traps are scary because not only do a lot of the times they do more damage, but a lot of the times they're a lot more difficult to avoid and to escape. Yeah. Like a chest that opens and sets off a spear to attack the person who's opening it up is a little bit more, okay, whatever, that's not that big of a deal trap, than a chest that opens and a fireball shoots out. And, and it has a radius, yeah. Party. Yeah, a lot <laughs> yeah. of magical traps, like those poison gas traps. I remember when we played Tomb of Horrors, which is available to our Patreon dragons as a bonus episode, there is a jar that, I think it's a jar, it's a coffin, but you open it up and it just sets the entire room with poison gas. Oh, and yeah. it just like does a massive amount of just terrible i remember it's some sort of like i think con damage to the group and it's oh you don't want that to happen well, in the, 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 tomb of the magic that comes out of it is just so unavoidable most times yeah. like even if it's a magic missile that comes out you can't dodge a magic oh, yeah. missile so if you set off a pressure plate or something like that and the and a magic or four magic missiles or whatever it is you're taking automatic damage which is kind of the same way with the poison gas like especially if the doors are locked behind you you're not getting away from yeah. that type of thing. And so that's what makes magic device traps so much fun to put in and also so scary for your players to come across. Well, I've seen rogues get to the point where they're just like, hey, if I fail to disable this trap, I'm just going to use my reflex save and dodge it. And because I have these special feats, I'm going to dodge it and I'm going to take no damage because I'm a rogue. And so I, I've seen rogues walk around with just this puffed out chest and like it's good to be a rogue and good at what you do and that's awesome magic traps though can be still scary for rogues especially if they're not just a fireball that they can still roll a reflex for but if they're something like a mind-altering thing because your rogue could have a decent will save but he's gonna put all the stuff into yeah. his reflex his dexterity and so that can be a terrifying thing to a rogue when a magic trap well that was off. that was cruel in in your campaign where we were just like all right everybody stand 80 feet back yep. because <laughs> i'm not sure if i actually did it right but just to, because we, find out we came across like, yeah we came across a couple times where it's like yeah i'm, I'm pretty sure i said yeah. and then a fireball hits it 
like, like, fireballs. <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of cruel. We're like, I'm pretty sure if a fireball went off on my location, we'll be all right because I can dodge it. Okay, yeah, you'd be able to jump over it. Yeah, <laughs> pretty easy most of the time. Yep. Lastly, there are these just simply not magical device traps, but magical traps, and these are traps that would simply be like a spell being cast on a door that it doesn't take any sort of mechanism being tripped or whatever. It's just this spell will go off when that door is open or that door is touched or something like that. These are obviously most often going to be created by wizards. And a lot of times I think of them as being in places protected by wizards that have oh, yeah. maybe there's some magical items on the other side of this door or whatever it is but i think this would be the top tier of traps because most rogues are going to come across just spell traps just spell wards and things like that and not know what to do because they're not you need a wizard in that situation to kind of dispel magic and things like that to be able to get rid of those or even detect magic yeah there's no rope to cut there's nope. no any there's no sort of mechanism so a rogue's just gonna be like yeah i don't see anything and then the minute you open the door it's like fireball straight yeah. to the face <laughs> yeah and it makes a lot of sense in a D world to have wizards who are either protecting their own things by spells or being paid to go and protect maybe like a bank or something by a king or like a vault by a king with spells. Because in a world where certain people can use powerful spells to turn and go into like the ethereal plane and just walk through walls. Yeah. Like I imagine that really powerful kings and such have protected their vaults with all sorts of ward spells to be like, nope, can't pass through yeah. the yeah. walls, even with magic. Like if you do this, you're going to die. Like it's yeah. just really high level. Well, traps. I imagine if you're going to go into a wizard's tower too, or most of the traps that you're going to find are these types of traps because wizards can cast them. Yeah. That is what they are good at. Well, Hang on. Maybe you have this wizard who's like, well, that's what everybody would think. So they're, everybody's, <laughs> you have a party who's like, all right, we have to go to a wizard tower. We should hire a wizard to come with us to dispel magic from these doors. And then the secret thing is all of the traps are mechanical traps. <laughs> hired a and so you, you didn't hire a rogue. You had a, you had a wizard instead. And then you guys <laughs> are just screwed. <laughs> All right, so when you break down a trap even further, there are, especially with mechanical traps and some magic device traps, there are some common elements that most traps have. And so as a DM, as you're setting up a dungeon, it's cool to not just go, all right, every single trap that I'm going to have is going to be set on a doorknob, that when you open it, it happens, or, or every single trap is going to be a pressure plate. But, you know, traps are interesting when different things set them off. Well, and some of these, too, when we were looking up different types of triggers for traps, there were some some of them that I was like, I've never even thought about yeah, using no. these before. So yeah. some of these are really, really yeah, cool. Yeah, and we'll mention more of the ones yeah. that were like, wow, that's interesting. I've never really actually done that before. But yes. So the first one, obviously, that's kind of the most used, I would say, is a location trigger. And so this is when a person trips a trigger when they occupy or touch the trigger itself. This is your pressure plate. This is your turning the door handle and it sets off a little hinge and the trap goes off. Door handles, pressure plates, all those things. That's a location trigger. That I think is the most used trigger for traps in D&D dungeons. Or yeah. any dungeons. Yeah, I, I think those are probably the most the most common. It's the treasure chest, when you open it up, sets a spear off straight oh, yeah. at your face. But then you have some that are called proximity triggers. And so these are triggers that you might not necessarily have to touch the object. It may be something like 
almost, I mean, lasers aren't a big thing, but lasers would kind of be like the, you get close enough to the other side of the room and there's the, there's the trip wire that shoots everything off yeah. from the other side of the room at you. You cause the slightest movement in the air and there's something that is sensitive enough to the change in, in the air, especially where the air is super still that will set off a spell. And I think proximity triggers too. When you think, I mean, we talked about heist campaigns and we talked about, you know, the heist campaign we did. A lot of times proximity triggers are used for alarm spells. Oh, yeah. So it's like if you have some people sitting in a control room somewhere or a quote unquote D&D control room, whatever you want that to look like, there could be a proximity trigger of some sort that sets off a noisy alarm that alerts everybody to your presence within the dungeon. You could also, this was really interesting. I was reading this, this part of it. Inside of a specific dungeon, you could have spells cast as a proximity trigger that could be specifically geared towards detect good. So you could have a proximity trigger that if somebody good walks through the entrance, all of a sudden there's an alarm going off. But if somebody evil, nothing happens. But then if you, you know, the vice versa, if you have a detect evil and somebody evil walks in, it sets off the alarm for all of the good people to know that there's something evil walking through. There's your fault spells and bank spells detect evil, like allowing it to be more protected, and they just set off an alarm simply if somebody that of that alignment comes closer. But that's something that, I mean, how do you... Besides being able to have a wizard that's going to walk through a dungeon and detect magic, which these kind of traps are the things that are going to make your party definitely be more in suspense and more wary of dungeons. They're going to have their wizard walk through and just constantly be casting detect magic to yeah. find those. Like Once you have one trap go off that is a detect good, and it's like, oh. Now we just have well, to then do, you, this all do you, the time. If you don't have a wizard, do you even know that the detect good yeah. spell went off? It's like you're just walking through, and all of a sudden you're getting what, ambushed what the whole time. How did we set it off? How do they know we're coming? <laughs> Those are the moments where I could even see players just be like, "I did everything right. What are you doing, DM?" And like, as DM, you're like, uh, "I can't tell you. Like, you're not part. doing everything yeah. right. That's why <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you without giving it away what happened. I'm sorry. Fireball spell went off. Bob died. <laughs> I apologize for that. But that is the dungeon, buddy." Or you have a oh you have like a fake mechanical trap that (laughs) like you you like cut the rope or whatever or you like prevent the rope from getting cut but then you walk through like oh yeah we're perfectly fine and the (laughs) fireball still goes off because it was a detect good it'd be interesting i imagine now banks in D &D world having like metal detectors only they're evil detectors (laughs) (laughs) you can't go in a bank if you're evil (laughs) oh that's that's totally cool although there's totally like lawful evil characters that can can like get get along in cities just perfectly fine you can have ways to disguise your alignment and stuff like that too so it's yeah it's one of those things that's like if somebody was stupid enough to try and walk through there without that you'd totally detect them but otherwise that would be pretty darn sweet to see inside of your world all right then we come to another type of trigger which this is one of the triggers that i was like i've never even thought of that but that's really cool and really interesting sound triggers yeah these are really cool that springs a magical trap when it detects any sound or specific types of sound a lot of sound triggers what they can work like is that they can act like an ear and have a plus 15 bonus to listen checks or perception check which it wouldn't be that high in 5e and then you have your players having to move silently cast silence spells you have them trying to remember to keep these spells that are going to negate alarms if you set them off yeah and so these are really interesting but the way that you end up creating a spell is so you have like a fireball spell on the other side of the room and the trigger that would cause it to happen is something sound so somebody steps in in full plate armor they're gonna make a lot of 
noise. And the way that these things are created is on top of that spell, there's a clear audience spell that's cast. And so basically what this does is it, I don't know if it allows the trap to hear or it's just a spell that like detects any sort of sound that comes into the room. And so when the clear audience spell is tripped, it also trips the other spells. So you're going to want to have things like move silently, somebody that has a really high rank and move silently or somebody who can, you know, detect magic and detect what kind it is and realize that there's clear audience on here and then cast a silent spell over top of it. So you can just walk through perfectly unscathed through that part of the dungeon. I imagine too, like maybe you can couple the sound trigger with like a magic spell, like a password must be spoken to allow this door to open. But if it hears anything else, fireball spell, you know, something like that. Yeah, maybe it's something that only detects words. So it's not like full plate armor comes in, but maybe it's on a door. And the only thing that you have, you have like a riddle above the door or something like that, kind of like Lord of the Rings. And if you don't get it right, it detected that you said something wrong. And so then it all of a sudden sets off a fireball yeah. spell. Or <laughs> I've played in so many, I've created dungeons where I've had like writing on the wall and they're usually clues to figure something out in a dungeon. But the people making this dungeon, maybe they put writing on the wall knowing that like every time I put writing on the wall, my players have come up to the wall and it'll be like a lot of times I use writing in other languages. Right. So one person will have to tell the other players oh it says this and so i wonder like a really person a person who's trying to protect their dungeon maybe they know that and so they put writing on the wall and as soon as that specific sentence is read out loud it is not supposed to be read out loud it's not like an open the door like password thing it's a as soon as you read it out loud and you didn't know it it sets off this sound trigger and then all of your players are going to be so wary about reading things off of dungeon walls from now on (laughs) Get out while you can, and says that, bam, hit with a fireball spell. So we have things like sound spells, which we were both like, wow, that's really cool. I haven't even thought about using that. And then you have things like visual triggers. So these are a little bit different, where visual triggers will be something that... The visual triggers, they trigger the magic trap, but on top of the trap, you have like a clairvoyant spell that's cast, or arcane eye that's cast on there, or something of like true seeing cast on top of the spell. And so then the spell acts as if it has an eye, and so it sees anything move within the room. It's really unfortunate if like a poor little mouse is sitting in the room, and all <laughs> right. of a sudden, bam, there's <laughs> filled with poison gas. Or, <laughs> you know, I haven't seen any rats in this dungeon. That's yeah, kind of right. weird. That's kind of weird. What's up with that? Every dungeon has rats. Yeah, and so it, it acts as like an eye, and so maybe it's like you cast the eye with the knowledge, with it knowing that if it sees a human or sees an elf or sees, you know, whatever type of humanoid creature you want, it'll set off the spell and you'll have some sort of spell effect go off. And if your dungeon is dark, in order for your trap to see in the dark, you must either cast true seeing or you need to add some sort of dark vision spell to the trap as well for it to be able to see. Because if it's just acting like a human eye in the dark... People are just going to walk right by this trap. And kinda, it's going to be completely ineffective. I kind of like that, though, because that's kind of a good built-in towards intruders. Like, if you have a dungeon that has creatures like goblins that have dark vision, maybe they just walk around freely with these traps because they know that it's not set to not attack them, but they know, okay, don't yeah. go in there with any sort of light. Then you have the intruders come in, right. a bunch of humans with a torch, and as soon as they walk into the area that this torch can see the light, trap goes off because now it can see them 
That's pretty cool too. I like that. We talked about, about, oh, that's such a cool trigger, like the sound and the visual triggers. And I brought up like, oh, what if like you come into a room and there is a, just an eyeball in the wall, like just staring at you. And as soon as it sees you, it triggers and it's like an eyeball built into a door and the door opens and behind it lets loose a beholder. Like <laughs> that'd be the perfect like trap yeah, behind yeah. this eyeball door. And you have like a specific amount of time to cover the eyeball oh, yeah. up before. <laughs> the gate gets all the way up yeah that would be that would be interesting to add into there they're kind of similar to location triggers but there's also touch triggers and i think location triggers are maybe a little bit different because they need something to set it off a touch trigger would be simply like a statue that if you touch it all of a sudden this statue lets off some sort of trap i think a lot of touch triggers are going to be operated by spells like wards on these yeah. certain objects or doors but that's another sort of trigger that you can have for your dungeon and then another one is kind of interesting to me because it's like why would you have a trigger do this but it could be something that you know once somebody comes into the dungeon it's set up or whatnot it's called a timed trigger and so maybe you have something that goes off every 30 seconds. And so, you know, it doesn't start until you go into the room. And so you have, you know, the classic when you're in Legend of Zelda and you have the spikes come up from the floor or whatever while you're walking around and it goes off every like three seconds or something. And so you have to figure out a pattern to get across the room. Otherwise, you're going to be impaled by stakes that are on a timed trigger. Or you have some sort of spell that, you know, can reset it or some sort of spell like effect. You know, maybe there's somehow you've worked a wand into being able to be cast without human touch and you have somebody walk into the room and it's constantly casting fireball across the room or something like that. So time triggers can be something that's pretty cool and pretty interesting to add into any dungeon as well. That's all the kinds of triggers that we've found for specific types of traps. Now you get into, I think, part of the really when you want to make a dungeon tough is what about resets for traps? Do they reset themselves? Like, are they automatic? Or would somebody have to come through and, like, manually reset them if you wanted it to Put be reset? Put all the arrows back in, spring the, the spear back down yeah. into place or whatever. I mean, then there's also, like, there could just be one-time traps. Like, a yep. spell trap may just be a one-time trap. Like, as soon as it's set off, that spell dissipates, and it would take that wizard coming back and setting that spell up again. Or you have the dungeon janitor that comes through and cleans right. up all the dead bodies and his job <laughs> is to take care of the dungeon and and reset all the spike traps and the <laughs> you know the falling blocks and he's just whistling away pushing his push broom through I the dungeon for most of my dungeons i have the no reset traps the ones that as soon as they go off yeah you're done with them but automatic reset traps are some of the scariest things like a lot of you if you play those classic like tomb of horrors and those type of pre-generated modules, they have a lot of automatic trap or automatic resetting traps that you have to be careful as players to watch out for. Don't just chill in the room with that coffin still open. Close it if it sets up a trap because it may just let off that poison gas again. Unless you're really fond of inhaling poison gas a second time. <laughs> so I think the best part about traps in general are that traps make for a fun encounter and obstacle for your players to struggle past. And when I say struggle, I think traps, maybe you give them a couple easy ones, or maybe you give them a lot of them with the potential to fail that are really easy, but there should be some sort of struggle involved. Like the first time you get impaled by a spear, probably gonna be a little bit of a struggle for you, I would think. But for the most part, I think that traps, if they have a little bit of a struggle, makes the dungeon that much more interesting. 
for your players because like we said it gives a little bit of spice added it gives a little bit of suspense as you're walking through the dungeon not knowing what around the next corner is going to happen next we get to one of my favorite to dm for and one of my least favorite to play with is puzzles yes Yes. puzzles being put into a dungeon they are just like traps in my opinion a staple to dungeons if you haven't run puzzles in your dungeon for your players you should you might find that some players hate them you might find some players love them it usually you don't find players that are somewhere in between it's usually a love or a hate relationship yep Um, like caleb would be one of those guys that loves puzzles loves loves riddles things like that you on the other hand is are like i'd rather just role play and not have to worry about puzzles i love a good riddle every now and then even though i'm terrible at them i love a good question and answer kind of puzzle but oh gosh when you drop something that's like a uh a physical puzzle that i have to do no i'm just i'm just not good at them so. <laughs> here's a thousand piece puzzle <laughs> but i do the titanic for them yeah <laughs> <laughs> now you need to do it this game sucks <laughs> wait the D world has the titanic yeah. what? what this is you're just wasting time <laughs> right <laughs> oh gosh but why would you want to put puzzles into your dungeon first of all i think that a puzzle is a great way to do something different in DD, you're not in battle what are you doing you're rolling dice yep. in skill challenges what are you doing you're rolling, you're rolling, rolling dice. dice with a puzzle like yes you can incorporate a puzzle where there is some sort of rolling dice but in general, a puzzle introduces your players. It lets your players think outside of the box a little. Like, And puzzles have always been difficult in the sense for me of like, do your players, if they're playing a low intelligence character, if they're really good at puzzles, do they have to like downplay that? Or if they're rolling, because it's kind of hard to do the opposite. Like, well, I'm playing a genius level wizard and I've been terrible at puzzles. So yeah, because like Paladin Caleb, really intelligent guy, really good at puzzles. But if he's playing a character that has a seven intelligence, how is he as a player going to overcome that obstacle of being like, I know how to do this puzzle, but my character doesn't. And then you just watch the struggle ensue of him trying to do that (laughs) and your party not being able to get through that puzzle. Personally, I'd say that's your choice as a DM. If you say, hey, you got a low level character, you should downplay it. Even if you know how to do this puzzle real well you're going to have to role play that you don't. And if you're a high level and cuz it's really it's hard to like how do you role play above your intelligence level in real life? Like I'm not a genius, but I love to play wizards, and so I imagine that my wizards speak more elegantly than I right, do and right. like that they are able to do <laughs> Like, I sit there on a late night, and I'm, like, rolling dice. I'm like, oh, gosh, math. My (laughs) high-level intelligence wizard would just be like, oh, that's simple math. Like, here you go. But how do you role play for that? Well, you as a DM, if you really want to have your players role play that intelligence of their characters and puzzles, you can then go, okay, you have an 18 intelligence. I'm going to give you a hint here. Come here. Let me whisper this hint inside your ear yeah. so that you can help and it'll help you role play. Yeah. Your and I, I guess you could incorporate dice rolls into a puzzle where it's like maybe they've gone through a long dungeon or something like that. And they're just like working on this puzzle. And it's like, man, this thing looks and, you know, if it's like a slide puzzle or something, man, this looks familiar. Like, yeah. why can I not? Maybe you say, hey, roll an intelligence yeah. check for or me. Or a wisdom check. Okay, here's yeah. here's what you think this looks like. This is what you it's figure It's something out. that you've seen before. Go ahead and use that knowledge, Jim. Like, it's, it's kind of like that you're working through someone. It's like, 
oh yeah, that's right. I remember this now. Like it's, it's that moment where it's like, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. I just can't, I just can't remember yep. what it is. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, all right, I got it. There it is. You personally, know? when I DM a puzzle, I personally have just gotten to the point where I'm like, no, this is going to be the point where I don't, you know what? I don't care what your intelligence level is in D and D. Yeah just have fun with it as a player and when you talk role play as your character but like if you're really good at figuring this puzzle i'm not gonna make you like act like you're not like here you go shine in this if you're really good at figuring out riddles i'm not gonna even though you know the answer to this riddle you figure it out and your DD character is dumb as a box of rocks like that's okay have him have a moment of brilliance and just say the answer like well because yeah there's there's those moments even in even in real life here where the smartest people in the world will look at something and they're like i I can't figure this out. And then you have somebody who scored like a 14 on his ACT come in and be like, oh, that's easy. Yeah. This, it's this, you know? So it makes sense that you don't just have a simple roll of the dice for the intelligent guy to be like, well, I can figure this puzzle <laughs> out because I'm super smart. And, yeah. I, and you roll a 25 and it's like, oh, well, there goes that puzzle. It's like, no, let them let them struggle because that happens in real life too. Yeah, like going along those lines, you can make that part of your role playing experience. How great would it be, and how funny would it be if you have a fighter who is dumb as a box of rocks, but when you come across a riddle, like for some reason, that dumb as a box of rocks fighter is so good at riddles, and so like even the genius level intelligence wizard who's just like, I just can't do riddles. Like I can cast spells that make us reverse in time. But I can't do riddles. And the whole party just looks towards the stupid dumb fighter and it's just like, uh, hey, Jerry, <laughs> can you, uh, we got a riddle here. Can you step up? And it's like the moment of brilliance for this dumb character. He's like, clearly it's this. Jerry's, <laughs> Jerry's intelligence is really high when it comes to puzzles. Like there's a caveat to his yep. intelligence. Just I'm really smart when it comes to puzzles for some <laughs> odd reason. I'm not exactly sure why. But I like puzzles because they're not just the simple somebody's coming through the dungeon, roll a strength check or roll a, you know, roll that type of check. It gives you a different thing to come across. And they can also, I think one of the greatest thing is they can be a point where all of the players can group together and work together as a team. I think puzzles can be one of the greatest team building experiences. Yeah, because traps, you might just have the rogue that comes in. He's like, hey, just stand back. I'll take care yep. of this. But puzzles, it's like you may be doing it on your own, but everybody's thinking about it yep. at the same time. Or you or might have those... at least cheering you on. Yeah, like, or at least cheering you on to get it right, you know? And I think that's what makes them awesome. Is it gives opportunities for people to role play together instead of it being the, the one man, hey, I got to pick up this gate and I'm the only one that's strong enough to do it or I need to push <laughs> yeah. this block out of the way you know whatever it is I think it's I think it's cool to see people work together so there are different types of puzzles first there's two types that we've kind of set here it's there are physical puzzles and then there are mental puzzles a physical puzzle is usually something that requires you to move pieces its hands on something along those lines whether it's actually at the table with your players or your or in game with the PCs some sort of physical puzzle. Yeah, it's moving the blocks over specific squares. Like maybe there's a block that's for a specific square. There's four of them. You have to figure out which ones go where. You know, it's it's that sort of puzzle that we're talking about when we talk about physical puzzles. I think the thing with, with physical puzzles is they can be very easy. That you can get the one where it's like, hey, roll this stone to this specific square or 
throw the ball into this specific hoop or whatever, you know, whatever it is, light the, light the torches in a specific, you know, order. And you just, it's just process of elimination. So they can be fairly easy, but they can also be really hard. Like if you have to move a block or you have to move like four blocks from one side of the room to the other, but there's a big pool of water in the middle of them, that can make a very physically, that can make a very difficult physical puzzle. So they have a varying range of difficulties that can happen with physical puzzles. There's some physical puzzles that you can make that it's really easy for the DM to change the level depending on like the group you're playing with or how difficult you want it to be. Like we'll talk about some physical puzzles that we have done. One of the puzzles that I've done in the past is I've printed out duplicates of symbols and I've made them the size of a D&D tile and I'll flip them over so you can't see them. And then I'll have the PCs come into a dungeon room. All the doors will lock. These tiles appear on the ground. They flip over and it's one of those memory so it's it's incorporating both physical and mental yeah Yeah. so you have to go and you have to step on these tiles and it acts like a pressure plate that if you get it right it flips over and there is that element of if you get it wrong the trap triggers if you get it right they stay up and so that's a type of puzzle that's really easy to set a difficulty for you can have six tiles and so you only need to do it three times or you can have an entire room full of these tiles that can be just like oh my gosh and and too like one of the one of the puzzles that i've done before is you have to pull certain levers in a certain order and you know you have four of them process of elimination you'll get it fairly quickly you add in a fifth one that can get really difficult because then you're adding a whole nother variable you add in that many more possibilities of combinations for those levers to be pulled in. You add in a sixth one or a seventh one or an eighth one. And then it's like, okay, now we're trying to find a needle in a haystack for the pattern that we need in order to pull those levers to open a door or whatever it is, release a princess from a jail cell or whatever. It can get pretty complicated just by adding one more lever to the combination that you have. So there's two different elements to puzzles. Then some puzzles may only incorporate one of these elements. Some may incorporate both. But you have the physical element to a puzzle, like moving blocks around or pulling certain levers or using strength of any sort or using decks of any sort. And then you have the mental aspect of a puzzle, which could just could be something as simple as an intelligence role or what I like to do is I like to have puzzles that literally make my players really have to think about what they're doing and put their brains to use. Then you have the mental aspect of puzzles, and these kind of puzzles will test your memory. They'll test your critical thinking. Riddles are definitely part of of this type of puzzle. Chris, you're going to have some riddles for me later on. I haven't heard them, and we're going to see if I can do a good job of figuring them out, but we'll give you a couple riddles that you could use in your campaign a little bit later. But then you also have puzzles that have to do with just memorization, like the one that I just mentioned, or something that, like, you were introduced something early on in the dungeon, and if you forget about it, if you weren't paying attention, you may not have realized it, but that was something critical that you had to really focus on like writing on the wall that wasn't a trap yeah maybe it was a trap and you just weren't supposed to say it out loud what what was the writing on the wall that was in dwarvish runes earlier and if you don't have somebody that is a dwarf or can read dwarf you know handwriting or dwarf script or you simply bypass that room or you just simply bypass it's like "Ah, i don't want to take the time to translate that 
you could find yourself in quite the predicament with yeah. either having a spell or having to fight some boss or whatever it's going to be. Or, if, you know, if something pops out of the floor and says, hey, I have a riddle for you. And then all of a sudden you don't answer it right and it turns hostile towards you. Yeah. That could be a severe consequence for just not paying attention to something earlier. In it the room. can be questions about specifically the dungeon itself. If this dungeon was built during a time of war, maybe it'll have questions that have to do with part of your world's history that had to do with that error of the world. If it's a dungeon that was blessed by a god, maybe there's questions that you need to answer that have to do with that god. So now let's talk a little bit about certain puzzles that we've specifically put into our campaigns. I've already mentioned the matching one that I've done. Chris, I remember a puzzle in your campaign that you did. Yeah, it was a slide puzzle that I made of the symbol uh, that Evanor had inscribed on a lot of the kobold armor earlier on in the world. And so it was like this flaming dragon that was on the door. And in order to walk into that room, it was all jumbled up and I had one piece missing. You guys had to slide the pieces apart and then back together in order to make the right pattern to get through the room. And I remember it was like a 16-piece slide puzzle or something or 15 piece one piece was missing yeah and it probably took you guys like a half hour 45 minutes to do and it started out with everybody being like wow this is really cool i'm gonna like help out (laughs) in this and then everybody was like touching the puzzle and moving it around you got really frustrated where teamwork wasn't helping because we had too many minds in the mix and i knew from the bat i was just like oh gosh these puzzles but there still still was the element of teamwork because you guys were like cheering caleb on and and he was the guy that was like all right move out of the way this is my time (laughs) to shine he he did it it took him a little while but he did a lot of thinking and and eventually got all the way through to the end the doors opened and hey there's evanor the dragon that has been causing you guys all sorts of problems (laughs) throughout the whole campaign so far. Well, and I'll say this for sure. Like, you made a really sweet prop for that. We got to take a picture of that and put it in show notes because it was fantastic looking. I know you still have it and you, like, saved it so you can, like, put it on your wall or whatever, but... Maybe. We just moved, so I'm not sure if I still have it or not. All right, we'll see if we can take a picture (laughs) of it. If there's no picture, it's not because we didn't forget. It's because it may be lost somewhere. (laughs) There's other puzzles. Like, I've had in my world, there is this djinn that always seems to pop up with adventurers, and his name is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus the djinn, and he appears in certain dungeons, and he always seems to know about the dungeons, and he's just waiting to quiz the players, and he always has certain types of of riddles sometimes it'll be question and answer sometimes he i remember one dungeon that they went into he had a deck of cards and i made a lesser deck of many things because the deck of many things is crazy and so the players were able to do that as sort of a wasn't so much a puzzle because they but it definitely was an element in the dungeon that was took some thinking and it was a lot of fun for our players yeah do you remember the one puzzle where you guys had to fight your second dragon do you remember the one with the face yeah, on the wall. I do. You the, guys had to spell words on the floor. But, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was and like that force field that came down. There's a force down. field, so yep. one person was able to move around and step on the letter tiles on the floor, and the other people had goblins and kobolds uh, uh, and yeah, lizard folk running through Coming the, at yeah. them and had to fight them off and still help the player out who was trying to And they were all questions the about like things that you faced earlier in the dungeon yep. or things that you know you had encountered with Dale earlier, and it was like somebody would walk in and get it wrong, and then it was 
like, all right, somebody else try it. I can't figure this out. <laughs> or you'd like take a path where you accidentally stepped on another, like somebody was just careless with the path they would take and stepped on the wrong letter. And it was just like, oh, all right, well, you got to start again. <laughs> and then just more kobolds and lizard folk were running through the hallways after yeah. you guys. Oh, yeah. Puzzles and riddles and stuff like that, they can be difficult. They can be something that's really simple that turns into something really difficult, such as a simple answer that you need, like a word you need to speak out loud to get through a door, but it doesn't look like the word because it's written backwards. Well, you had. So you need to just take a little bit of time and figure out, hey, this is a word that's written backwards. It says, open the door backwards. (laughs) (laughs) And you, you had a cool riddle section, too, where you had those four different riddles on the wall where when we would say the right answer to the riddle, yeah. something else would happen. It would trigger something. A door would open, yep. some water would flow out, the doors would all open or doors yep. would all you close. You got the gem that you needed. Yeah. And that's that's something too. Like some of those were necessary for you guys to do. And some of those, if you didn't figure it out, well, you wouldn't have gotten some nice perks, but it wasn't necessary. And you can have riddles and puzzles like that in your world that, you know what, if your players go, I hate puzzles, I hate riddles, I don't want to do this, you can just be like, well, there's nothing stopping you from keeping going in this dungeon, but you might be missing something cool if yeah, you decide say, not to tackle That's always an this. interesting aspect, or an a- interesting line to take with a puzzle, is maybe it's not something that's going to harm you, maybe it's something that if you don't do it, it's not going to be something that's going to help you or hurt you in the dungeon, you just get something cool that comes <laughs> out of it. And so people will go through and there will be so many riddles before and they're just like, nope, not doing another riddle. Yeah. I'm just moving on. And they miss an opportunity for a necklace of fireballs or something like that. Another one that I have done in my, my world is just the whole I have a gin pop up all the time. And it's it's more of a like question and answer thing, a test kind of thing. But a gin called Bartimaeus that always pops up in dungeons. He he knows about the dungeons he's in and he'll just ask questions that are like multiple choice questions or whatever that pertain to the lore of the dungeon or the part of the world that they're in, or if it's a temple to the God that the temples to. And if you get the questions wrong, you suffer the consequences. If you get them right at the end, you are rewarded in some magical manner. And it's always been a player favorite. The, the players are always super excited when the gin yeah. pops up. Even some of the players who are just like, I don't right, want to do anything right. with the gin. I always, it never turns out well for me. Like magic Mark always thinks that he's going to get mm-hmm. the better of them. And he usually does. He's usually yep. lucky with it, but um, some players have just more suffered <laughs> at the hands of not answering questions. Right. But that's always a fun one to do. Yeah, there's all types of puzzles. And I'm sure like if you do a search online for Dungeons and Dragons puzzles, like you can find like a plethora of all different types of puzzles. I know for me, like a lot of the times when I do puzzles, it's it's not your typical, okay, here's a physical puzzle that you need to like work out. A lot of the times my puzzles in dungeons are just all centered around the player's Uh, critically using some critical thinking and trying to uh, figure out more or less. Sometimes they're just straight up riddles. Sometimes they're riddles like uh, you need to figure out what dance around the night means when you come into a room or dance. Yeah. Yeah. Dance around the night in part or dance all through uh, the night, depending on who tries to remember. Yeah. Come into a room. (laughs) 
<laughs> and there's all these statues of the gods. Well, it meant to dance around, to literally dance around the statue of Heronius. Like we all hopefully remember that story time where Caleb thought it thought the poem went dance through the night and they danced for eight hours because he Rick realized was super, it super pissed at him. It said around the night. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then they were like, oh, we should dance around Heronius' statue. And it was like one circle around Heronius, and it was good. It was done. I love that kind of puzzle, personally, to drop into that makes the players really have to think. And riddles are obvious, an obvious choice for that to have the players think out of the box and work together and kind of think together and try and figure stuff out. So, Chris, you've come today with four riddles that yep. uh, DMs can use in their campaigns. You're going to ask me. I'm going to do my best to answer, and we will cut out all of the really <laughs> long spaces where I'm right. trying to figure it out right. because I'm not going to be right. able to answer these really quick, I don't think. All right, here is number one. I'll start you <laughs> I'm out. I'm ready. I'll, I'll, I'll start you out with, with feeling, a fairly Chris. easy one. You can You can swallow me, but... I can consume you too. What am I? Water. No. Good guess. Yeah. I thought like drowning. Hmm. Yep. I feel like of her. Oh, it, nope. It's not. I thought darkness, but I'm like, nope. that doesn't make sense for the nope. first one. Not darkness. It's not air. Man, I was really think, thinking I had it on that mm-hmm. water one. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't there's know, a, Chris. There's I a very up. common saying. Um, Swallow your pride. Yep, pride. Yeah, pride. you can swallow me, but I can consume you too. <laughs> I just need a little what bit of I? a hint. Yep, yeah. <laughs> That's right. a good one. I that, like that. That is a good one. It is a good. That's one. a definite like temple to Cuthbert. Oh like. yeah, yeah. In order <laughs> like, to like uh, even enter the yes. like, I could be like the entrance to like an old old temple or something yeah. like that. Like, oh yeah, with like That'd a huge relic inside or a, a weapon of some kind, like. You must yes. answer this riddle before you can even enter into Absolutely. the dungeon. So, Absolutely. all right, you ready for number two? I'm ready for number I two. Think, I think you may have heard this one. Like, I think we may have talked about this one in the past. Uh, so you might you might be able to get this one right away. I have rivers without water, forest without trees, mountains without rocks, and towns without houses. A map. A map. Yep, yep. I've heard I, that one. I, I think I I've wondered used if that you had one heard before. that one. Yeah, I was yep. like, I don't know if it sounds. <laughs> but that's familiar. a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I pulled up a, a document of like riddles that I have set aside for things, and I was like, I think he may have used this one before. <laughs> yeah, I think I used it in this campaign somewhere. Definitely not anywhere recently. Right. It was yeah. not like in the maze because we had four riddles that you guys had to answer with Yandala's yep, uh, room, but yep. it was definitely not that one. So yep. yeah, I definitely use it somewhere. Okay, third one: ten men's strength, ten men's length. Ten men can't break it, yet a young boy walks off with it. Oof. I don't know if you'll get this one. Yeah, this one. Uh... See, the, the trick with riddles is you know that you you have to think out of the box. Like, there mm-hmm. is a, a lot of riddles are just picking out that trick in what it's trying to say and figuring out that trick. Um, ten men's strength. Ten men's length. Ten men can't break it. Yet a young boy can walk off with it. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to get this one. Let's just give it to the listeners. <laughs> a rope. A rope. Ten men's strength. Ten men's length. Ten, ten men, men can't, can't break, break it. it. Okay, like tug of war. Yep. Gotcha. But, but a young, young boy can walk off with it. Kind of okay. like the playoff of ten men can't break it, but yet... 
a young a boy young can boy carry can it carry away. it away. <laughs> okay. Yep. Okay. So there, there, there's that one, and then I don't know how I feel about that one. <laughs> um, I think I think you may have used this one, so I'm going to change it on the fly Good. here. <laughs> I'm um, going to pretend like I did. Well, so here, it seems smart. Yeah, we'll we'll record <laughs> it, and if you can't, I want to give you one that if you do get this one, I'll throw another one in just for kicks and giggles. I cover cities and destroy mountains. I make men blind, yet help them see. Oh yeah, I know this yeah. one. What is it? I thought I did, but now I uh, I cover cities. I destroy and destroy mountains. I make men blind. Oh yeah, yeah, help yeah. Them time. See. Nope, not no. time. I cover cities. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. I cover cities and destroy mountains. Uh, see, that this is a part of the hard thing about using riddles before. Is this sounds like a riddle that. I've used There's, that yeah. the answer is time. Yep. It sounds like a riddle that I've used that the answer is darkness, but then I think about it I'm like, no, it's not it's not yep. either of those. I cover cities and I destroy mountains. Make men blind, yet help them see. There's probably somebody listening to the podcast yeah, right now who's like screaming oh, at yeah, me. Just screaming is. at me. Well, like I cover cities and I destroy mountains and like make men blind and like I'm thinking it's something to do with some kind of like light, because if you look in the sun, like you but yeah, I'm not sure. I thought you got me all excited. I thought I'd know it, but the answer is sand. Ah, I cover mountains. I cover, yep, can, erosion, yep, erosion of the mountains. mountains. I make, make men blind. blind. They get hit with sand attack from sand. But true. sand can be turned into glass, glass which can be turned into yeah, turn. Yep. yep, can be turned into eyeglasses. Yep. So nice. those are those are four. Uh, and and the thing with riddles is, is they're really easy to find online. But so oh, yeah. incredibly potent when you put them into a campaign, oh, yeah, uh, because yeah. they will mess your players up. And if it's something that you let them try and answer it over and over and over again, it <laughs> begins to make them think like, okay, I have to get that right. Like when we were in the uh, at the very beginning, the same place where we had that face on the wall, you went into the next room, and you had two statues: one that would you could give a riddle, or one that you could give money to. And the one that gave you the riddle would make you fall asleep. Do you remember that? Where it yeah. was like somebody fell yeah, asleep and then it was like, oh, no, what do we do? And then another person would fall asleep. It's like, oh, no, what do we do? So, yeah, riddles, uh, riddles yeah, are a blast. I, I, love, I love riddles. But I do think when you're, like you said, like it's super easy to figure, find some online. But I would still say just... Make sure you read you read through them and pick them ahead of time oh, yeah. before just like going to a site and going, we'll do some riddles tonight. Right. Let me find a riddle because I've read riddles online and maybe it's just that I didn't get some of them, but I've read some of them and I've been like, I literally have no idea how this is a riddle. First of all, some of them <laughs> and ha- and some of them I'm like, this just it literally just doesn't make sense. Like some of them I'm like, OK, maybe I just don't get it. But some of them I'll read and I'll be like, I don't think this riddle is actually a good one. Whoever made this didn't do a good job. So I would just say be careful and pick pick wisely and also pick ones that you think that your players together have a chance in figuring out. So as we keep going through our dungeoneering talk of how to set up dungeons as dungeon masters, we talk about traps. We talk about riddles and puzzles and things of that nature. And we realize those are all a lot of fun. But if that's the only thing in the dungeon, sometimes that's not enough for players. And so you come to the point in the dungeon where everybody's favorite thing happens. You come across (laughs) a boss of some kind. Yes. There's a few things to talk about when we talk about bosses. The first thing, 
and all of the things will come under this umbrella. What makes a good boss battle? What makes a good boss? There, I think there's two things that could make good boss battle that are completely opposite. One, the element of just like surprise of uh, you didn't know this boss was coming and just that like, oh my gosh, like we just busted down this door. I think we talked a little bit about this earlier, but like we just busted down a door, didn't think about it. And on the other side, there is a hill giant in heavy plate armor with a great, a large great sword about to kill us. (laughs) Like that surprise, like, oh no. But then I also think that if you introduce a boss that maybe the players knew that they were coming up to that boss, maybe it's a villain in the campaign that they've been either working to get to for a long time or that they've seen before and maybe beat them before. Like that too makes a good tension filled boss battle yeah or it's somebody that they haven't beat before but were beaten by earlier yeah. so it's like you walk into the room and it's like the hey we know that guy from somewhere <laughs> you know that type of thing yes. and it it helps you know when you run into somebody that you know that's in the dungeon or somebody that you saw run in here with something you know with a captive or with something that you have to get back from them it like you have that deeper resentment already for that boss. You have story behind it. You have history behind this boss. Whereas if you walk into the room, it's one thing to run into a hill giant where it's like, holy crap, that's unpredictable. But then there's something else to be said too about walking into a room where you already have history with somebody. You already have hate. So it's like, what was um, what was the guy that uh, you had in your campaign that turned on everybody? What was his name? Oh, Dama Dwinadrin that Jared played? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when your group back in the day came across Dama Dwinadrin, uh, the guy that ripped off tiefling le- or tails and dropped goblins from <laughs> rooftops and uh, this, that, and the other thing, when, when your players run across him again, it's like, oh my gosh, we have so much stinking history behind with this guy. I want to kill him with everything that I have in my body. Like you just (laughs) automatically have that deep resentment for this boss. And so you can have both aspects where you don't have any and it's just like, oh, that's a lot bigger than what I thought it was going to be. Or you have that, (laughs) I hate this guy with all of my being and he needs to die now. So it can create some pretty interesting uh, uh, dynamics based off of, you know, whether they know them or whether they don't know the bosses that you run into. And so when when you have either these guys that are predictable and you know who they are in the past and like you saw them run into this dungeon, but yet you have so much hate or they're completely unpredictable, some interesting things that you can add to them and things to think about would be classes. What classes would you want that boss to be? Because there's a definite difference between running in. There's a different difference the way that you run into a room to face a wizard than you would run into a room to face a fighter or a barbarian or a rogue or something like that. You have to take different precautions. You have to think through different things as you go into a dungeon. So if you're running in against a wizard, hopefully you have another wizard with you so that you can have some silent spells or whatever. You, you just prepare differently for a boss battle if you know something's predictable or not. Oh, and along those same lines, as a DM, I think uh, you prepare differently for a, a wizard boss rather than a, that hill giant that's heavily armored with the oh, sword. Yeah. The hill giant heavily armored with the sword like is usually, in my mind, going to be just a flat-out, like... That guy hits hard. You yeah. better kill him Hack before he hits you. Slash and smash. That's yeah. that's his mentality. But if you're playing with classic wizard stats, like, and you're fighting a wizard in a in a campaign that is like your boss that you're running, 
a wizard normally, if you if your fighter gets up to him and does the right amount of damage, like can just make a wizard dead with one hit. So if, if he I'm can get up wi- to him, yeah. If I'm running a wizard battle, like I want to have the wizard be a hard boss, like. I want to have prepared that that wizard's going to do something like fly or put some sort of shield on himself or throw up an ice wall or or something to put a wall between him and the players who could very easily kill him. And so he gets the time to cast like magic and everything like that and make the players really suffer or I'm going to have the wizard have a couple whether like lackeys that are either thugs or maybe even just a couple lesser powerful wizards that are just they're going to be in front of him. They're going to take the first amount of damage and players will be smart and realize that that is the plan. And so they'll try and get through to the to the main wizard boss. But like you if you just put a wizard in a room and wizard rolls low initiative and you're the DM, and you want this to be a cool battle. <laughs> like, oh, there goes if, your yeah, wizard. Yeah, if wizard rolls low initiative, and the players can charge him and run in and get to that wizard within their first round, and all of them hit them, you might be looking at a boss battle that becomes a huge disappointment because yeah, it's it was like, well, I wanted that to be really difficult and to make this guy seem really cool, and they just. T- Hosted him yeah. right now, yeah. so you got you got to think about that kind of stuff. This wizard had a challenge rating of eight, and yet he didn't get to do anything because yeah. my party got <laughs> straight up to him and killed him right away. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Based on whatever classes you're going to be going up against, it, it makes you think about and prepare differently as a DM, especially. And usually, one one thing that you can look at too before you go in is if you use a monster manual or whatever, they have usually combat sections where you can go and see, okay, this is normally how a wizard is run. This is normally yes. how a hill giant is run. This is normally how, you know, whatever creature or whatever class you're going to be doing, this is how they would normally attack, whether they attack from a distance first, whether they set up defenses first, or whether they just wait for people to come. So if you're if you're playing 3.5 and you have somebody who has combat reflexes, maybe you just wait for people to come to you because you can use all of that right away on them. So it's things like that that if you're if you're using a different class, just make sure to read through them because they can each do some pretty cool things. And I think it's interesting to note too, I think that when you say when people say boss battle, I think immediately a lot of us think of and I'm not saying like we literally think of this, but we think of the Mario running in to fight Bowser type boss battle. You've got you're the good guys and you're fighting the one big bad. But a boss battle doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a big bad. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be a big armored hill giant. Um, it could be that one wizard that doesn't have a lot of health, doesn't have a lot of AC, but he's super powerful glass cannon type, and you throw a couple thug- thugs in with there. A boss battle could be you're running into another adventuring group that has it out for you, wants to kill you, and it's not like there is a specific boss in the midst of that. It's all of them make a boss battle because together they are like same level adventures as you and they're going to fight and they have some nice equipment too. And uh, which is kind of nice when you do defeat them because your players are like, Oh cool. We get some items and things like that. Well, that's, that's one thing that I was going to talk about too, is like, if you're going to have somebody that's memorable, some of the accessories that you can give them make 
for a very memorable boss. And so like you yeah. have armor. So so say you have somebody who has, you know, uh, dragon scale armor or something like that that you're going up against in a dungeon. People are going to remember that instead of just having it, okay, you have somebody with uh, a chain shirt on. Like that's not going to be something that's going to be like, wow, that's really memorable. But you have somebody who has like dragon scale armor on and that's going to make a huge difference to both the AC, the toughness of the character or creature or whatever is wearing it and to how your players remember this battle going forward. It's going to be that one cool thing that people will be like, oh yeah, that guy, he had the dragon scale yeah. armor going on. Especially if somebody in your group can wear it and they start wearing that armor around, they're going to remember where they got that for a long time. I like the idea of like a boss, like almost a boss being super flawed at something, but having other members of his, like his lackeys or whatever, his teammates around him to kind of, compensate for that like like the wizard who has not a lot of health because he's a wizard having some thugs to make sure that he doesn't get hit first um you can have a a big boss have a ton of health but not actually in the end he's he's not got that high of an ac but maybe like there's a couple spell casters maybe he's a monster with not that much health with a lot of health but really low ac but maybe to add to the boss battle to make it more interesting you've got a couple wizards who have controlled this monster and they're using spells to protect them and so in order to make this boss battle easier you have to go around and pick off the little yeah. guys before you actually tackle this big bad guy who will once you take out the little guys become a lot more easy right, to defeat right. um, you can also go with that whole uh, my brother I don't know if my brother came up with uh, the name of this but he described boss battles to me one time as like having dungeons being like an alpha and omega boss in a dungeon yeah. like you you don't just have one boss in a dungeon but you have a boss that like is the first boss that is the lesser yeah, you have boss like the lieutenant you, or something yeah. yeah, yeah, and then, like, you beat him, and that allows you into the second part of the dungeon, and at the end, you beat the big, big boss. Um, or you, you have two big bosses together. Like, one of the most frustrating parts of playing through the first Dark Souls game for me was there's a battle between the two dragon brothers, and they're not, like, dragons. They're they're two guys that are called the Dragon Brothers or something, something along those lines. And it's, like, this one really fast, really powerful boss that, like, just zooms around and hits you. And then you have this huge monstrosity, like, giant guy who's slow, but when he hits you, he hits hard. And you have to, like, keep your eyes on both of them as you're doing battle. And that was just one of, like, I spent, like, so long trying to fight that battle to the point where I put down the game, like, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> Came back months later and then finally did it. And I was like, okay, I can play right. this again. Um, but, like, you can, yeah, the whole, like, Bowser, one big boss kind of idea is great. But you can do a number of things for a quote-unquote boss battle. I think for me, one one moment that I always love getting to the end of having a boss or having just a whole dungeon filled with traps and puzzles and stuff is that moment when you get done and you ask your players, what did you think of the night? Like, how, did, how was that dungeon? How was that boss? And there's that, you know, sense of satisfaction from around the group that was like, that was a great dungeon like you know you've done well when your players when you get to the end the best feeling as a dm when you see your players sigh in relief you know that that is one of the best feelings to possibly have as a dm whether that was because it was a long and difficult dungeon 
whether it was your players got through it really easily and they were, you know, like, you know, you rewarded your players for being smart and being able to think on the fly. Uh, if it was like long and, you know, when we got to the end of your dungeon, for example, Mitch, there was a sigh of relief for me because it was finally over, but it was a very satisfying sigh of relief that we made it through a huge labyrinth that we had no map to use to get through. Yeah. Like there was that moment where it was like, oh my gosh, we're finally through. I feel rewarded now. Like this is, <laughs> this is good. This has been good for me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Another thing you can do to make your boss battles interesting, and we're talking specifically about boss battles, but I would say to make battles interesting is to tweak the surroundings and to work with surroundings. Now, I think when, especially Chris, like back me up on this, if you agree with me, but especially when you play with out a theater of the mind style and you play with minis and like a grid, I think way too often. And I know I myself fall into this and I have to remind myself every now and then way too often. We just get into the mindset of drop the grid, drop the minis that are being used and roll for initiative and then go at it. But like, in a real battle, like if you're in the woods, if you're in the mountain range, if you're inside of a volcano, like there is, it's not just going to be like, oh, flat ground, like no terrain to, to mess right. with you. There's going to be different surroundings that you're going to have to deal with. And I think in a boss battle, like that can be something really cool. And I would encourage all DMs out there to really, when they're thinking about battles, like it's okay to do those drop the grid minis battle every now and then. But I think you really need to work with, like, get some, like, rocks from outside, get some, like, fake trees, make some pieces, make some different maps, make a river dropped into your map because terrain should add to it and make things different. Like, if you're fighting in a volcano, have a couple pits of lava that maybe you, as your players, can push in, like the little guy. Or you can be pushed in (laughs) this big bad or these, all these bad guys are going to try and push you into these lava pits. Just the the surrounding, the setting itself can add to any kind of battle, especially in boss battles. It can just add to that high tension and that high fear factor. So that's all we have for this week on the meat of the Dungeon Masters block. We've talked about everything from traps to puzzles to riddles to bosses and there's so many more things that we could talk about in dungeons as well but with that we are going to head into the mailbag of holding they've been asking for their mail on a daily basis it's all they're talking about up there that right there is the mail now let's talk about the mail can we talk about the mail please mac i'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day okay welcome everyone to another edition of the mailbag of holding the place where we share ideas stories and questions from you the listeners and this week we have an email from dmq Uh, And DMQ writes, most esteemed dungeon masters, I just listened to the episode where you had the very poignant and emotional story in your mailbag section. I wanted to let you know that out of all of the mailbag sections I've listened to, while great and and, and in of themselves, this one really resonated with me. And you can go back and listen to that uh, mailbag of holding. It was a story about a girl that Dungeons and Dragons really was able to help her go through some pretty hard times in her life both emotionally and physically. And so go back a few episodes and, and listen to that one. Uh, and some of you remember that story, and that resonated with quite a few of you, I'm sure. DMQ continues to write on, I have been gaming with the same group over the years, off and on, for half of my life, 18 years now. Many of us struggle with emotional difficulties, depression, substance abuse, 
substance abuse, and other social disorders. I myself am blind and am now a cancer survivor as well. And I am here to loudly tell you the poor woman who is suffering in that story is not alone, nor is that dungeon master. Many in my group, myself included, have walked away from the gaming table, spirits buoyed by our ability to contribute and support our friends, even if it was because I rolled a 20 at just the right time, or that maybe we all had to fake one too many allergy excuses for sniffles (laughs) when a favorite NPC died, or even worse, one of our PCs. But even those sad times served to build our bonds and friendship. In a book I recently read of Dyson Men by David Ewald. Great book. I was just reading it earlier today, reading it again. Uh, He discusses the self-edifying and self-confidence-building powers of Dungeons & Dragons, especially through some awkward and difficult formative years. Additionally, many many medical studies hint at the fact that roleplay and fantasy roleplay in particular can be extremely therapeutic emotionally, and when dealing with the diagnosis such as cancer, that emotional comfort translates directly into physical health. Most often, I am the dungeon master for my longtime group, and now recently as an adult have truly come to really value what it brings to our lives. Outwardly, it is a silly play-acting, let's-pretend game that not many understand well, heavily criticized by dissenters as escapist or all-consuming and addictive. But since many of us, as former stage actors, or in the arts in some other way, to us, we know how to vent our emotions through our PCs and gain real cathartic benefit from it. As a group, we tacitly yet enthusiastically permit this. We've created a safe place to allow it. It has spurred the most memorable Dungeons & Dragons moments for many of us. It is why we game, to be more than what we are, to strive to be what we pretend, or barring all of that goody two-shoes business just to forget (laughs) our limitations in the real world for a time. And on top of all of that, this is probably the best part of the email, (laughs) <laughs> it's just fun to play joust on the back of a dragon turtle once in a while. Yes, uh, it is. Yeah, you know that. You know it is. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for re-inspiring me at this moment as I was starting to dig into the dregs of my DM, DM inspiration barrel, but reminding me of the DM basics to provide a fun game and build camaraderie with friends. This is just good stuff. This is the best episode I've heard you post yet, and I thank you for it. Many times I feel... Like that if a game never gets beyond the the solid basic dungeon mastering rules, it will have the best chance of becoming a world-class game. Well played, sirs. <laughs> so thank you, DMQ. I, we really appreciate that email coming in. We, we appreciate uh, you being able to share your life with us a little bit, being able to share that story uh, with many other people that probably feel the same way that you do at times. Uh, and so you are you are a testament to many people of how to use the game in some pretty therapeutic ways. So appreciate that. Yeah, and it's true. the The game, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons, role, uh, like a role playing game, just it's just nice to, like he said, with whatever it is that you're dealing with in life at the moment, be able to uh, sit down with your friends and just have a break from real life for a little while make your own stories, have fun together. And I, I resonate so much with him when he says the, when he says uh, we have to pretend like we have allergies when, yeah, when right. a NPC or even a PC dies, because uh, you know, I, it's, it's amazing that you get so invested in these stories. Like we just finished our epilogue for the Riders of Shemesh campaign, Chris, mm-hmm. and like you posted the thing with your character sheet for Crewer, and you're just like, 
I'm playing Cruor for the last time tonight. <laughs> Super sad. Yeah, I was like, I was like, my favorite character of all time is going into retirement tonight. Yeah, uh, and it was just like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, and it's this like you build this character and this story, and you get to know NPCs, and uh, when you have to say goodbye to them, whether whether through their death or like the end of a campaign, it's amazing how invested you can become in these these fake characters but it's just it's just something that i think like he says it can be a buoy for the tough tough stuff in our lives that it's just like a game can just mean so much when you're building story with friends yeah and and i I think the best thing that the game has taught me and and i've had other places in life that have taught me this as well is it's not i don't know if it's necessarily the game that's been helping me but it's the fact that i'm playing a game with people who are invested in the same things who that crosses over into real life where I have people to walk through life with me. Uh, And I think that's been the biggest thing for me is just knowing like we've had a lot of fun in this game and it doesn't just stay in the game where we care about each other. Like we're walking through stories of cancer with each other. I know we've like you guys found out the same day, the same time I did when my grandpa had a stroke back in March. And it was one of those things that it's like, if I was sitting at home, Probably wouldn't have told you guys right away, but because it happened at the time when it did, it's like, you guys were there for me. You know, you guys were like, yeah, do what you got to do. Like, we're, we're thinking of you. We're praying for you. Like, go, go and do your thing, you know? And so I think that was, that was the biggest thing for me was, uh, just being able to know that out of playing, you know, a, a quote unquote silly game or whatever, uh, we're able to build camaraderie with friends. And I think that's the biggest thing that, that we'll walk away from this game with you know for years to come yeah i think that as you know this is a podcast for dungeon masters so i will just say this too uh you know when you are playing the game when you're running the game this is this is some another reason why i i always say as a dungeon master we need to be concerned about not one player at the table not just ourselves but about every player because yeah even though it, it is just a game, everybody playing the game can get really invested in their characters and can just need like their characters sometimes to like have that moment. And as the dungeon master, I think it's our job to look for ways to give our players' characters moments where they can shine and where they can just be like, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. I really really appreciate that i was able to do that tonight and you know stories like this make me just like be like yeah this is such a great game and i am so happy to be able to run a game like this every other week and to be able to play in a game like this every other week right so thanks gmq we really appreciate that with that let's pass it on for another dmnastics Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I am DM Neil, aka Joe Moniac, and for this DMnastics, it's tied back to DMnastics number 17, New Powers on the forums, and that is tied back to episode number 35, Level Up. And the guest from that episode was Caleb from the RPG Academy, and guess what? He's here. Hey Neil, how you doing? 
doing good. It is a pleasure to be back here in the DMs Block Studios. Yes, and we are going to tackle, like I said, Diamnastics number 17, New Powers. So the basis of the episode was you guys talking about leveling up. And one of the coolest things, and usually the motivation for players upon leveling up, is getting cool new powers. So the idea was set up by Never on the forums and just an open call to have people talk about their ideas for new powers that weren't necessarily in any of the rule books. For the first one, it was an idea from Arnil, and I'll let you take that, Caleb. Okay, yeah. Arnil has an idea here about a couple different ways you could do an anti-magic fighter. So one of them is a Telluric Enforcer. I'll just go ahead and read this here and we can talk about it a little bit. The archetypal Telluric Enforcer is a warrior whose focus on inner peace and connection to the material plane allows him or her to negate magical effects and more effectively fight spellcasters. Some Telluric enforcers are soldiers, neutralizing mages on the fields of war, and some are freedom fighters, rising against horrible magical rule. A Telluric enforcer is the perfect weapon against evil warlocks and tyrannical sorcerers. Awesome. So we have the idea of absorbing magic, and starting at third level, a Telluric enforcer can choose to negate one magical attack whose target is within 50 feet of the enforcer as an immediate reaction or to negate a magical effect within 50 feet as an action once per short rest. At seventh level, the enforcer can do this twice per short rest, three times at 15th, and four times at 18th. Oh, man. I could just see being so disappointed as the other guy. Like, oh, look at them. They're all bunched up. Fireball. Oh, no fireball. (laughs) It certainly does pose an interesting theory as to the style of your fighter. The idea of being able to negate magic is really cool because magic has always been the most overpowered, nasty weapon on the D&D battlefield. As awesome as a fighter or a rogue is, when a wizard waltzes on screen and starts throwing fireballs, everybody runs for cover. Yeah, it is the great equalizer in a lot of ways. Exactly. So being able to knock out magic kind of randomly like this and still have it be a limited resource is definitely cool. The concept is certainly not overpowering due to the limits of the number of times per short rest. Fifth edition always tries to be a little bit structured in how these new abilities pop up. So I would want to make sure that there is enough still support ability from the fighter so that the fighter's role is not relegated to just walk up, crash the fireball, and we do everything else. So if I were working on this idea at my game, I would want to make sure to give the fighter still enough good fighter powers to make him or her as effective in battle. I would say we could steal a little bit. There was an old 3-5 class called a Spell Thief. They used to be able to steal spell slots and absorb spells and convert them to their own abilities. I say if we borrow a slight idea from that, we could actually have this anti-magic fighter absorb the energy. So when he negates a spell, maybe he gets back some of the superiority dice from one of the fighter's base abilities. Or maybe he can recover hit dice or something like that. I think that would add a little bit of usefulness to the ability 
and it would encourage the player using this to actually run out and get in the way of those fireballs so that he could convert them to something more useful. Yeah, and I really like the idea. Like my initial thought was to kind of spell thief it and then re repurpose it if if that term would work, you know, and like to imbue the weapon or do something like that. But then hearing your idea, it makes more sense that the person wouldn't want to utilize it that way, but almost to absorb it in this pure energy aspect to rebuild, like you said, hit points, superiority dice, something that's not openly magic to kind of flow with the basis of the class itself. Like, why would I want to absorb a fireball just to shoot a fireball? Doesn't necessarily fit with the idea, I don't think. I mean, it is still really cool to kind of pull the bishop move and absorb the energy and channel it back out. So I'm going to say this, we could maybe even make an entirely new class out of this. And instead of this being simply a different archetype for the fighter, we could reinvent the spell thief as a base class and have one of the archetype choices be a rechanneling where you absorb energy and send it back out based on the cantrips or the spells you know. Another archetype could be absorb energy and channel it to yourself. Restore those superiority dice, restore hit dice, maybe even get a temporary stat boost out of it. Things like that. I like it. So for the next one, it was actually written by me. It was kind of a capstone, if you will, for the Barbarian's primal path essentially above and beyond what's already there and so i came up with the idea of adding the ability of vicious attacks all the barbarians attacks are more ferocious than ever before and do more damage when rolling the attacks re-roll the dice that displays a value equal to or lower than three re-roll the die until the value shown exceeds three and then use the new value so mm, yep racking my brain and hopefully memory will serve me well the current capstone for the primal path for the berserker is 14 so i was thinking something into higher levels to utilize essentially the brutal property Mm -hmm. for all attacks from a barbarian it just kind of fit with the rest of the moves there i think that definitely does fit the barbarian as a class has always been the big thug carrying a sword and hitting everybody back in fourth edition barbarians were reinvented to be kind of the fist of the primal magic source. So it wasn't just, I'm a big dumb guy with the sword. It was, I embody the spirit of nature and I am her fist in the world. I, I strike out for nature. So, and that's, that's what fifth edition has carried on. So in that vein, I really like your idea because if the barbarian is completely devoted to her primal path, she is becoming this outstanding warrior. And no matter what she's doing, she's doing more damage, hitting harder, because she has the spirit of nature within her. As a capstone power, it's very powerful. I mean, essentially, you're you're saying every damage die is four or higher. Yeah, and I... I had tossed around two, and then I was like, but at level 20, based on the number of attacks and, like, essentially what would other people get? Yeah. So I went back and forth for a really long time versus two and three. If you felt it was a little overpowered, you could maybe break it down a little bit. Because in the primal path, if I remember correctly, you had options at each time you gained a power. So maybe one of those options could be you essentially gain brutal one or brutal two. And then at the capstone, it says, if you've taken this choice, mm. increase it by one or something again like that. Yeah. In general, though, no matter how it works out, it's cool. 
because yeah. the barbarian is all about doing damage. Yeah. So any option that lets her do more damage is awesome. So for the last idea, we're going to talk about kind of something a little freeform uh, about taking an idea off the forums that wasn't fully developed. So we'll kind of kick it around right here for the warlock and building off of the pact of the chain. Essentially, the boon for that would allow you to use the find familiar spell. And then we were thinking about expanding that to almost be like a summoning warlock through their patron. Yeah, I think you could have a lot of fun with this. There are certainly a lot of examples of older classes and different generations where it was all about summoning something to do your bidding. That was always a big part of Druids in older editions. Pathfinder has taken that a couple different ways as well. There was a lot of things in 4th edition that summoned warriors for you. I think this could be really cool as a warlock because it would help reinforce the differences and the oddities of your pact. So whoever you've made a pact with, it could be simply that you always summon a creature specific to that pact relationship, or maybe you summon whatever you want, like a bear or a dolphin or a badger, but it has some sort of template slapped on it that makes it similar to your pact being. Uh, I just thought about a fiendish dolphin. But, um, <laughs> and how uh, how amazing that would be! That would be cool. The other thing that that comes to mind, and I don't necessarily know where the motivation for the idea is, but that it comes at a cost because it feels like that's the relationship with the warlock and their patron is that it's not it's not inherently this symbiotic thing that is just all the hugs and kisses, if you will. But that if the warlock is willing to spend more to get more, be it potentially hit dice of damage during sacrificing themselves, their other spells or things like that to summon a bigger creature. I think could be another cool aspect added into that. Yeah, I like that a lot too. The warlock could burn spell slots to invest greater power within the summoned being. I don't think in this example we'd be getting rid of that familiar. So possibly we could utilize the familiar to boost the summoned creature as well. And there could be some penalty involved there. If or when this happens, then the warlock can't use the familiar to do things for a certain amount of time, or the familiar has a higher chance at getting hurt or killed if it has merged with the summoned creature to become a crazier, more powerful creature. Awesome. If people want to hear more cool ideas like this from you, where can they find them? Well, the easiest way to get a hold of me personally is on Twitter. I am at the Caleb G. You can, of course, find our website and podcast, The RPG Academy, on therpgacademy.com. My co host, Michael, is online at The RPG Academy. And we are just over a month away from a catacon which is our first ever real-world gaming convention. So you can find out all about that on our Facebook page, on our respective Twitters. We're not going to stop talking about it anytime soon. So you can find out all the events that are happening there. And our very own DM, Chris and Mitch, will be there on Saturday. So they have a pretty awesome game in store for everybody. And if you guys want to see this conversation, kind of see where these ideas came from, from the forum, just head over to Dungeon Master Blog block.freeforums.net and try some diagnostics so your players don't ask do you even lift i gotta get a pump that's it it's good 
hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. So that's all we have for you today on the Dungeon Masters block. We hope that you have enjoyed this entire episode focused on obstacles in a dungeon, what kind of traps you can put into a dungeon, puzzles, and even a little bit of discussion on how to make a boss battle extremely frightening and awesome. Uh, So with that... Chris, if they would like to write into us, maybe they have more ideas for how to make a dungeon interesting. Maybe they have some questions about something we talked about. Maybe they just have something else in general, uh, something maybe for the mailbag, perhaps. Where can they get in touch with us at? Yeah, you can email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. You can send us all your stories for mailbag for you know any questions you have, any ideas that you have, whatever you want to share with us. Send them there, and we will get back in touch with you as soon as we can. You can also find us on iTunes. Uh, leave us a review on there, most importantly, I think, because that helps us. You know, we, we talk about this game that can help people uh, and bring camaraderie together. And so, the, you know, if you say, if you put a five-star review out there, it helps people know that we're doing a good job of helping people with that. Uh, and so head over to iTunes and do that if, if you feel so inclined to. You can also find us on Stitcher. And if you have Uh, An Android device, you can find us on apps such as Podcast Addict on there as well. Podbean even has a podcast app now, too, so you can go get straight from there and get the podcast as soon as it comes out. Straight from the horse's mouth. (laughs) You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. You can like our Facebook page. Both of those places have awesome news about the show and awesome news and memes about dungeon mastering in general. We have a Patreon member shout-out of the week, and this week's Patreon member shout-out is... Timothy Murray. Yeah, thank you, Timothy Murray. We appreciate all of your support. Timothy Murray is a dreadful gold dragon, so thank you so much for your support, Timothy. We really appreciate it. Well, that's all we have for you today on the Dungeon Master's Block. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode and that you will be coming back to uh, listen to us again soon here on the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. Have a good night, everyone. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. Bye.